You're listening to the Well Told Story Insights Podcast. I'm producer Steph. Well Told Story creates social and economic value in Africa, harnessing the power of research, media, and strategic communications. You'll find all of our previous podcast episodes, along with blog posts, research, videos, and more, all on our website, welltoldstory.co.ke. Welcome to the Well Told Story Insights Podcast. I'm Richard Darlington, Head of Strategic Communications at Well Told Story in Nairobi, Kenya. But today I'm coming to you from my backyard uh, in the UK. Um, And today uh, we're introducing a conversation that I had uh, some months back um, in Nairobi. Um, We are talking about politics and governance, but a lot has happened um, across Africa since then. Many elections have occurred, lots has happened in politics. But, you know, I think the conversation we had is still just as relevant. So the conversation is with uh, Well Told Stories governance expert, Okath Apondo. And Okath, you're on the line right now. Yes, I'm on the line, Richard. Excellent. And you're still in Kenya and you've seen um, many changes. But And our conversation was primarily about um, the, the experience for young people of the second presidential Kenyan election. The big change that's happened since we had that conversation was that the opposition leader uh, reached an agreement not to continue to contest the results of that election. And so, Pondo, just briefly, things have settled down since then? Yes, uh, a lot of things have happened and um, uh, so much around, especially the political space. We saw the former opposition, uh, we call him the former opposition leader because right now we feel like he's really working with the government after they shook hands with the president and agreed mm-hmm. on a few things on how to work together even coming up with an initiative called the BBI, the Building Bridges Initiative. And uh, he chose not to contest the second election after the court nullified the first election, then uh, even went ahead to swear himself in public and uh, we expected so much to happen after that. I think there was a lot of expectations and uh, after that when we saw the handshake happening and uh, we, we also had several by-elections considering we have about a uh, few legislators who have lost their lives and also some other quotas nullified at the election. So we've seen the country still in a little political mood, but uh, things have settled down right now and uh, people are focusing on other things like the VAT and uh, the high cost of living. And there's also been a very high-profile uh, prosecution, is that right, for um, for corruption in in recent days. So um, you know maybe we'll see uh, maybe we'll see that too um, in the coming days. But also across the continent, um, next door in Uganda, the arrest of Bobby Wine, the popular singer and, and musician who was elected as a as an MP, um, has been uh, arrested and charged in a sort of military tribunal. Um, it's pretty clear that he was tortured while in custody and he's traveled to the U.S. to get medical treatment. Um, the DRC was supposed to have an election last year. That didn't happen. So their elections are late, but they have now confirmed dates for the election. But there's a row there about can- high profile candidates being ruled ineligible ineligible and not being allowed to run. Uh, over in the West, Nigeria, of course, was the was the big story a few years back with its with the sort of first demo, peaceful democratic transition from one leader to another. There was lots of optimism in Nigeria, but I think much of that optimism has gone and there's another election on the horizon with the incumbent president in a bit of trouble. Zimbabwe obviously uh, had a coup uh, just ahead of their elections and Robert Mugabe was uh, turfed out. 
Um, that led to a boost in turnout, a kind of a surprising opportunity at the election there. The result was incredibly close. Uh, the MDC uh, lost and ZANU-PF held on to power. And again, we saw a, a crackdown um, after the election on, on protests. So it's all happening in terms of governance and politics in Africa. But let's pick up that conversation where Opondo and I left off a few months ago thinking about uh, the implications of all, all this in terms of democracy, governance, and particularly the way young people experience that just after that second presidential election in Kenya. Welcome to the Well Told Story Insights Podcast. I'm Richard Darlington, Head of Strategic Communications here at Well Told Story in Nairobi, Kenya. And today I have a returning guest. It's Okath Opondo. Opondo, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So you were on episode three, which was our election extra, because you are the governance events associate here at Well Told Story, our expert on young people, politics and governance. And uh, last year, we uh, we spoke just after the national elections, um, and we were talking about how young people had voted. We were talking about the stories behind the headlines. Um, now, lots has changed since then. <laughs> um, lots has happened. Um, there's been a rerun of the presidential election. True. Uh, all sorts of things have happening. But today, I wanted to pick up that conversation with you again about politics and governance, but after elections. True. Perhaps the dust has settled a little bit. And so what are you picking up in terms of how young people now are um, you know, having a relationship with politicians or thinking about governance issues now that elections have moved perhaps more to the to the background, to the past? Interestingly, Mr. Richard, uh, I think we, we are presented with a very kind of very interesting situation in the country right now. When uh, we, we did the election on 8th of August last year, 2017. Then we had a rerun, and uh, later uh, that that was in uh, November there. So then uh, here we are. The nation is still trying to struggle and finding itself where actually we need to belong because uh, uh, the president of the Republic of Kenya was sworn in. Then later mm-hmm. on we also see the opposition proceeding ahead and uh, pushing ahead their, uh, their uh, I mean their threats of going ahead and swearing in yeah. their own president. So the result was very much contested wasn't it by yes. all sides? Yeah, yeah the result was uh, pretty much contested. It was taken to court and later on uh, the court for a new election which the opposition boycotted. Mm-hmm. And after the boycott uh, the, uh, it was just seen okay for the new pre- the president who was uh, who went ahead and challenged and he was sworn in and right now is the president. So after the elections, I know it has really been a tough time, especially for members of the opposition, really coming to terms that actually we have a president mm-hmm. because their leaders have insisted that, no, we will not recognize the sitting president and also trying to say uh, to their supporters to believe that Kenya has no president. I think it has really been a tough journey for us. Mm. But as a matter of fact, now we have to move on mm-hmm. because whether you like it or not, whether you elected him or not, He's now the president of the Republic of Kenya, and uh, the best thing to do is now for young people just to find how to fit within this whole situation, yeah, and move on. Yeah, yes. and there was there was certainly violence, and young people were involved in that, but nothing like the scale that we had seen mm-hmm. two elections um, previous. But I think um, perhaps what characterised the violence this time was that it was very much um, the police and the authorities cracking down on protest, because as we say. The the uh, the results uh, both times Kenya went to the polls True. were very much contested, and there was a lot of street protest and a lot of violence in terms of um, the response from the um, from the police and the security services. And how do you think that has affected the way young people view? 
politics, governance issues, and particularly their relationship with with the police. Yeah, quite, quite interesting again because uh, after the election, we saw so much of this happening. We saw. Uh, people in groups protesting in various parts of the country, mostly those who are against the results and against the sitting president. And of course, the best way that I've uh, seen how our government responds to issues is always by force mm. and trying to uh, bring the police everywhere to deal with people. At times, it, uh, it happens because these people are actually on the wrong side, or at other times, the police have this kind of mentality that there'll be a problem in a certain area yeah. and we just have to So they're to getting in hard security. and fast in order yes. to control the situation. Yes. But often that ha- can have quite brutal consequences. Yeah, which I think in, even in most cases, sometimes even uh, some of the things are provoked because uh, there are certain areas which are known for violence yeah. in this country. So even before any important thing is done in this nation that might lead toward the government, things can happen. You'll always see the helicopters doing patrol, the mm-hmm. police lorries do, going around. And when the people, the young people see that, they also get ready to deal, to handle the police. Yeah. But uh, the, the situation we had in this country, some uh, very interesting examples have come up, just looking at how the police and uh, the young people are relating to each other. I remember at one time uh, we saw during the, the conflicts a time when a police gets into a trouble and the young people have to come to the rescue of the police. Oh, really? Or at times we have a situation where the young people get into a trouble now the police have to come to, to the rescue of these young people. I think these examples just came, these kind of experiences came out just to try to show us that police are human beings mm-hmm. and that the youth also are human beings and they just need to come to a common table of understanding that uh, we need to cooperate, not to compete all the time. We're not competing for anything. You are, you are needed in this society, we are needed, and we just have to find a way of working together. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that sort of complex relationship between young people in Kenya and the police, yeah. you know, we can sum that up, I suppose, in a couple of stories, which, uh, you know, we noticed uh, here at Shujaz because they, they, they played heavily on social media in terms of young people discussing with one another, maybe not so much Very picked true. up in mainstream media. So one of them you were telling me about earlier was, was, was in Kisumu when the police lorry Yes, the, the one in Kisumu was very interesting because we saw one of uh, the police lorries uh, uh, breaking down during the or during the time when the police officers were dealing with the youth. Mm-hmm. And since it's it, it uh, the, what came out is like uh, the the police did not have the skills of uh, handling such a situation. Now they had to humble themselves down and call the youth to come and to assist them. them. Yeah, and actually these are even some of the people they'd beaten, they'd roughed up. So even after this whole process, one of the youth was uh, had saying that, indeed, you also need us. Because it is actually one of these, uh, the, the, these groups that they were handling, that one, one person from the group came and fixed the lorry for them. Mm-hmm. And after that, they shook each other's hands and said, you know what, get out of arms. Right. It is not good to be in conflicts all the time. So they're finding a way of sharing the same space. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, I was a police officer when you are there on the ground. Now you're there on your own. Yeah. And now you have any, any situation that comes as you have to deal with it. Yeah. At times you'll be forced to go out of your way to get help. Yeah. Yep. So community relations as well as crowd control. Very important. Yeah. Another thing we spotted was on um, DJB's Facebook page. Um, there was a lot of interaction with uh, a series of photos, a couple of photos of um, a police officer, two police officers who were helping... Um, a motorist whose car hmm. had broken down. So again, a situation where you know <laughs> someone was in 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 need of help. Hmm. And actually, the, the the comments about the two traffic police who pushed a car apparently 500 meters to a petrol station. I think it had just run out of fuel. Very true. But, but this hmm. this was 
this almost became a sort of social media event. It was captured, mm. uh, I guess, by you know mobile phone picture and then mm. posted on Facebook. And there were thousands of comments of discussion, I guess, because that sort of behavior from the police was not seen as typical. So that wasn't what people were seeing. I feel, I feel in this country, you know, the, the relationship between the police and uh, the youth people has been always that of an, a saint and mm-hmm. a devil. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw that post and uh, the question was very clear. If you find a policeman in a problem, can you help a policeman? Mm-hmm. Let's say maybe during a riot, a policeman falls down and he starts bleeding. Will you be there to do the first aid for policeman? The answers which were expected did not actually come out because it seems there's a shift in mind. People are beginning to believe that actually these people are officers, they are here for us. But of course, as others are learning, others are still in that uh, past uh, past history that the police have always been against us. They're never working for us. So that was a very typical example where a, a, a motorist car broke down and uh, he needed fuel. Mm-hmm. And now he had uh, to reach out to the police because, of course, the police always come to the road and that's why you're causing traffic. Yeah. So since the petrol station was 500 meters away, they had to help these these motorists push the car almost 500 meters. Yeah. Two police officers pushing it. And I think whoever captured that image deserves even to be awarded because such images need to be seen more and more. The image yeah. like that of policemen helping yeah. a motorist and the image in Kisumu of the rowdy youth helping the police yeah. uh, uh, fix their lorry. Yeah. And those yeah. two incidents kind of sparked a different kind of conversation yes. amongst the Shujaz fans. Yes. Um, so as well as the police, um, I guess young people also have relationships with other um, uh, sort of bits of the governance system or parts of um, the political system. And I know that um, uh, corruption is a, you know, it's a long-running um, issue, something we talked about on previous podcasts. Um, but I know that um, during the election, some of the um, engagement that we did with young people, we were asking them what their, what their top issues were. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, out of a list of high prices, poverty, corruption, unemployment, drought, security and crime, healthcare, it was corruption that, that topped the poll. And um, tell, us, tell us what it's like in terms of a young person's sort of daily experience, in terms of how they... Um, you know, how they experience corruption or what it, what it feels like from a from a for a young Kenyan to come into contact with a corrupt uh, governance system uh, I think uh, this one is very interesting again because when we we do this program known as Mike here too mm-hmm. known as our microphones actually is a is a platform we set for young people to talk to their leaders talk with each other and also try to offer solutions to their own problems and we try to encourage leaders to know that uh, young people's all the time, not only have questions, they also have answers to their, their solutions to their problems. So in one of the discussions, we were talking about uh, corruption. Mm. And uh, I remember this uh, statement, uh, I can't forget about it, when a young person said, now with the new system of uh, devolution, the new system of government, yeah. corruption was devolved. Right. And now every Kenyan can access corruption. <laughs> Because so not just at the national yes, ca- capital. Because before, corruption scandal used to be things of the ministers and uh, those big people in the country, the people we call the big guys in the country. Yeah. But nowadays, corruption seems to have been devolved all to the to the lowest level because Kenya now has uh, the devolved system of governance. So the likelihood of a young person getting into a corrupt deal is so high right. because uh, it could be you want to go to school 
mm -hmm. uh, you want to join a university mm -hmm. and uh, since uh, you, your grades do not qualify you to join that university you have to do something because after all you want to get to the university yeah. or at times uh, or at times your grades allows you to proceed to the university mm -hmm. but still there are some people who are getting to the universities through the back door mm -hmm. so you have to do something to because get your chance pay, to the university because they bribe yes they bribe right. and uh, i think young people get into corruption as rightly said bribing that is the most common it right. is something that i think a typical uh, a typical kenyan on a daily basis you find yourself either exposed to a situation where you need to bribe or you bribe right. sometimes you just avoid bribing not because you not because you really think you are a good citizen but because you do not have the money to bribe You're right yes okay so if you have the money just to get on in life just to navigate the systems that you need to do just to get on with your life yeah you have to bribe i fear it is a situation that we are breeding in this country we are breeding a culture of people buying everything you always have to buy you buy yourself to school you buy yourself a job you buy an interview you're buying everything in life and uh, yeah. things are very wrong system that we are cultivating and if it continues for such a long time i think it will get a time where maybe our government might start thinking of should we legalize corruption because maybe when something is legalized nobody wants to practice it anymore mm. when everyone is doing it then now it no, it is not a threat to anyone well we certainly, <laughs> certainly picked up a lot of frustration about corruption yeah. and i think also uh, some of that seems to come from a sort of lack of opportunities and i think tenders as well is something that young people have talked to us about the awarding of tenders which as you say with devolution has happened mm. not just big tenders mm. at mm. the national level but smaller tenders at the local county level and the way those are awarded, I think there's there seems to be frustration. Very very true. The the way tenders are awarded in this country, a lot of frustration comes from young people. But from uh, my discussion also with the leaders that we interact with, you know that I'm um, here to defend them. But I like looking at things on both sides, the young people mm -hmm. and the leaders. The complaint from the leaders is that uh, the young people do not really want to be put through the processes. They like shortcut. Mm -hmm. So if you tell them that apply for this and wait for one week, wait for a result, come for tomorrow for an interview, come visit, they do not want to go through that. Yeah. So the few who are willing to go through these processes benefit easily and they become like uh, the system's beneficiaries all the time because yeah. they are willing, they are patient enough to go through these systems. And even right now, as our const uh, I mean, uh, the government declared that at least 30, uh, I think that 30% of the government tenders will go to the people, of, uh, to women mm -hmm. and uh, 35 years and below right. uh, age group. So young people. And yeah, youth. so uh, there are those smart people again in the government who take, who register organizations and register companies then gave it a very youthful look, but we know very well that they're at the back. They're the big right. guys still running the projects. Right. So they are willing to go through this hardship with a normal uh, young person is not willing to go through. Right. You know, bureaucracy with young people is a very complicated thing altogether. Yeah, yep. and that can breed frustration, I'm sure. Very true, um, a lot of frustrations. Another thing we were talking about is the way that um, uh, politicians, but also the sort of wider governance structure, particularly I think at county level, the way they include young people or fail to include young people. Now, on previous podcasts, we've talked about your innovative policy handshake events where you get young people and, and politicians to work together. It's not that one is talking to the other and the other is listening. You, you put them on an equal level. But I saw a stat that was in uh, one of the national newspapers this week talking about how important it was for um, county governments when they're, when they're thinking about their plans and engaging with young people to use media which young people are are connected to and, and mm. still so many announcements or the information flow from government is based on uh, newspapers and often national newspapers and just we saw a stat saying just seven percent of young people 
actually read a newspaper. So although, you know, these leaders think that they're communicating with the youth mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. by making pronouncements to a newspaper or putting adverts for tenders in newspapers, they're completely missing them because young people are not Young people not are really not newspapers. there because most of the young people are on the social medias. Mm-hmm. They are either bloggers, they are doing articles on Facebook or on Twitter or on other, other social media sites. While most leaders still believe in the most traditional methods of doing advertisement, the national dailies. So the big, um, in Kenya we have the big three uh, newspapers. And also still doing some of the advertisements on uh, the notice boards at the administration offices, yeah. Yeah. where most young people don't even visit because they fear even visiting the administration offices. Administration offices are always told every time you visit there's a problem mm-hmm. you're going to solve. Or they do the advertisement on the county websites. And the young people are complaining that the websites are so heavy. At times you have yeah. uh, very, uh, very little MBs you cannot access a website because the young person's mindset is if I have MBs, I can go to my WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. If you get a message via WhatsApp, yeah. yes, data. Or Facebook or Twitter, we leaders are not really coming into their space. So even during some of our talks with Charlie, why don't you set up constituency Facebook groups yeah. or ward Facebook groups or uh, maybe county Facebook groups and bring these young people in. So then next, now you see what they're complaining about. If They'll bring another issue different from that. Then now you can start blaming them. But for now, if you continue doing it the national papers and uh, the national websites, I think completely you're not reaching it and uh, not reaching this audience. No wonder you're seeing the 7%. Yeah. Yes. Apondo, thanks for joining us today. It's been a fascinating discussion. I'm sure you're going to be back on, on more podcasts. <laughs> this is an issue that, that runs and runs. But as the, as the elections fade, you know, I, kn- I know that uh, Well Tell Story is thinking about governance um, beyond voting. And that actually politics is relevant to young people, not just at election time, but between elections. Very true. Apondo, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. Well, that was a great conversation that Apondo and I had some months back in in Nairobi. But as I said at the beginning, you know, so much has changed. And uh, Apondo's joining me again. And Apondo, I just want to ask you a couple of more questions. You know, how are young people in Kenya viewing Odinga now, the, the opposition leader? How has their perception of him changed? Okay, interesting because um, Railo Dinger's party was viewed as this party that uh, was to bring change in as much as he was older than the other presidential candidates and uh, people felt like maybe it was a time now to fight the status quo. And um, at that time, the country was really polarized and uh, we had young people on both sides supporting the president then we had the other young people supporting the the former prime minister, that is Raila Odinga himself. But uh, after, lots of expectations were on on him. People expected so much and uh, on 30th of January he proceeded ahead to swear himself as the people's president. But then that was even short-lived because they later on went and they had their secret meetings with the president. Even, in fact, they say against their own deputies, that is Raila's deputy and President Kenyatta's deputy, and came up with the BBI, the, that is the Building Bridges Initiative. And uh, it seems now young people feel it is now just time to carry our own cross. These politicians are the same because uh, young people have kept on asking themselves what is, uh, what is our role or what is our position in the president's big four agenda for his second term or what is our position or our role in the building bridges initiative we want to play a role in this can we know how we can bring this country together but it seems these are things just kept to them alone and i think these are really affected the political situation in the country but also the regional politics has really been impactful in our own country here the elections in zimbabwe was such a huge thing considering mugabe was hosted and uh, his deputy became the president then later on we saw 
also Nelson Chamisa of the MDC coming up strongly and even uh, one Kenyan was uh, uh, is uh, actually has been uh, the, the, the Zimbabwean authority issued a statement that they want to arrest him because he wanted uh, he was part of the campaign team of uh, Nelson Chamisa but the, the most recent one was uh, the the, the whole issue in uh, Uganda, considering Bobby Wine, mm-hmm. the uh, Kiarondo yeah. East MP in Uganda, famous known as Bobby Wine, the musician turned politician. Uh, his his songs are well uh, listened to in Kenya, and uh, people see him also as an agent of change. And when he was arrested because of uh, his fame that is steadily rising day by day, many Kenyans felt it, and um, to some point even organized demonstrations, activists organized demonstrations from uh, the Uhuru Park, that is our main park in the city center. They marched to the Ugandan High Commission asking that, the, that uh, Bobby Wine be released. But the most interesting one in Kenya right now, we have uh, the, an association, we call it the Kenya Young Parliamentarians Association. It is composed of young parliamentarians under the age of 35. They had a press conference, a joint press conference, asking the president of Uganda to release Bobby Wine and even asking, trying to put pressure on the Kenyan people and even the Kenyan government to put something like the sanctions to, to the Ugandan authorities until Bobby Wine is released. We do not really know whether this was um, something that caused any change in Uganda, but it's just interesting to see how young people are beginning to get interested in the issues of their own region, especially the political yeah. matters, Mr. Richard. Yeah, and I saw, I guess, the, the media as well and the way they can follow politics in other countries is inspiring young people in Kenya. So even although um, the elections are over in Kenya, young people are staying political and perhaps showing acts of solidarity with other campaigners in other countries and taking interest in other people's elections. Upon though, there's so much to talk about. I feel like we could record a whole nother podcast. Maybe let's leave it a few months and do that again. I'm sure there'll be lots more to talk about in terms of African politics Great. and the way young people connect. A huge thank you to Steph as ever, producer Steph Working Magic, connecting us 5,000 miles away from one another. And uh, join us next time where I'm sure we're going to talk about more uh, hot topics. This has been the Well Told Story Insights Podcast. You've been listening to the Well Told Story Insights Podcast. You can find all of our previous podcast episodes along with blog posts, research, videos and more on our website, welltoldstory.co.ke. You can send feedback to our presenter Richard Darlington on Twitter and you can follow him for strategic communications advice, including how to make your very own podcasts. Be sure to join us on our next episode. But until then, from me, producer Steph, Thank you for listening to the Well Told Story Insights Podcast.